0: This week on the Tiara Talk Show, we welcome puppeteer Jeff over to the show. Welcome, Jeff.
1: Thank you, Tammy.
0: I'm glad we get to talk because we've had a couple people who've worked on Sing Me a Story with Belle, which was a Disney Channel series way back in the day, and I grew up with it. And we've had a couple people on the show, but never anybody who was a troupe puppeteer live on set yeah, so there were just
1: a couple of us
0: i guess that's one thing that you don't really find in kids shows nowadays but i was i'm very blessed i was lucky in a time period where that was something that you know was still done because it's just so cool so thank you for being on the show today <laughs>
1: yeah of course it's my pleasure yeah it's right it was uh, right toward the the end of the the golden years of puppetry on the disney channel that that or at least featured puppetry there were all sorts of Uh, fun shows that were going on in the late 80s, early 90s. And I think the last show that that featured puppetry uh, prominently was Bear in the Big Blue House.
0: When did you start doing puppetry? Was it was this something that was later in life? Or as a kid, would you create
1: puppets? Well, yeah, uh, I uh, grew up during the uh, During the uh, age of Sesame Street, you know, in the early 70s, I still have my original vinyl album from that first season. I was probably at the time uh, when Sesame Street started, I was probably four years old, something like that. And um, so I always uh, enjoyed puppetry and um, and then, you know, skipping forward into my uh, middle school years, that was right during the uh the beginning of the muppet show and i was just enamored by the muppet show and loved it so much and uh and just i have to say that was probably one of the biggest influences of my life was was muppet show and um uh, my best friend across the street jeff donkey who ironically ended up being a puppeteer along with me on sing me a story with bell um, we used to build puppets and put on these puppet shows for the neighborhood, and um, we used to tour around and do uh, summer school programs um, and do shows, and and um, and then of course once we got into high school, we were uh, both both of our interest. Changed And and you never think as a kid, especially even though you're really interested in it, that you can make a career out of it. But I was more into music and sports. And so my focus changed uh, once I got into high school. And and it wasn't until I started at Disney in 1989 that I that I picked it back up because uh, maybe I'd say four or five months into working at Disney right towards the end of 1989, Um, in the beginning of 90, Jim Henson, uh, all of a sudden started showing up on property and, uh, was actually in our green room on a couple of occasions. And I, I was able to meet him and, um, and that was my big career change. I was at Disney after I graduated college, just on a whim. It was sort of a, a a fun job to have, (laughs) you know, it was one of those things I always wanted to do. Um, and I figured, well, I'm going to go have some fun at Disney and then I will go get a real job somewhere. And that was all sidetracked after meeting, after meeting Jim. Um, and he was incredibly nice to, uh, you know, a young man who he didn't know from Adam. And, you know, I, in my mind, this was career change. I'm going to work for the Muppets and Jim's moving down to Orlando and the product, all sorts of productions going to be happening down there. And, and uh, so I got to talk to him on a couple of occasions and expressed my interest. And of course, being the, the man that he was, he was always very supportive and said, "Well, we'd love to have you." And uh, you know, this is who you need to talk to. And and um, so that was my uh, reintroduction, uh, at least from a, a perspective of being interested in puppetry again. Um, after meeting Jim in, in nineteen ninety, and then of course you know, I guess it was May. Four months, five months later, uh, he passed away. And uh, but I I still retained the interest. Um, Walt Disney World started getting into puppetry and in a lot of their their live shows. There was a show called the Disney Crew um, that toured around to to schools and um, it was a, a, a puppet show. And I worked on that, and then um, in 1991, uh, we started production on The Voyage of the Little Mermaid over at Disney MGM Studios, and um, I was really the only person, one of two or three people in that cast that had any prior puppetry experience, and um, that's kind of how my career started as a, a not just a puppeteer, but as the, the puppet expert for the Walt Disney Company um, back when when we kicked off Voyage of the Little Mermaid. So that's sort of a long-winded answer to a short question, but that's that's kind of my, my, my background in a nutshell.
0: Really quickly, just to go back to what you had said before, what type of jobs did you have before you started working with the puppetry in the theme parks?
1: Well, I was in uh, entertainment. Well, I, I actually started at Disney, as I say, in 89. I uh, gave tours at the Backstage Studio Tour.
0: Oh, wow. I started wow. in
1: June of <laughs> 89, and I believe the studios opened up in, in uh, I can't remember, April or May. But mm-hmm, it was still yeah. um, very much a, a soft open type of situation. Our, the script changed, uh, sometimes daily almost every every week for sure, where they were trying to figure out, you know, did they want this to be sort of a Jungle Cruise sort of it, of experience? Did they want it to be more informative? And they, they experimented a lot. And, you know, there was a lot of us who came from production backgrounds. My, my background in college was uh, I wanted to make commercials. So I got into broadcasting and writing and things like that. So, And everyone that really worked at the Backstage Studio Tour, I'd say 80 80 to 90 percent of the cast that worked there all were from either L.A. or New York or had a a previous production background. And they all everybody sort of migrated to Orlando when the studios opened up because this was supposed to be, you know, Hollywood East. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. And so you
1: had a lot of people working there who weren't your average what I would say, your average um, Disney employee that were, you know, loaded with pixie dust. And, I mean, everyone loved Disney, of course, but they had a a sort of a a different um, maybe mindset or demeanor, you know, very creative, um, somewhat uh, (laughs) cynical. um, And with the constant script changes, people just started to make it their own. And you had people that were giving tours that were, you know, they, they'd provide the information that was in the script, but then they'd embellish quite a bit with some comedy. And it was, it was so much fun that, uh, that was prime.
0: That was like the prime time to be there at the studios, right?
1: It was a blast, you know, (laughs) It, uh, it was five or six months of a lot of fun and met some really great people, but, uh, you know it wasn't the money wasn't great, and um I was commuting actually from Clearwater every day, and I just figured well i really i'm a- co- i'm a college graduate here i've got a degree I need to actually get a a job that that pays i've got to start a career, so I was getting ready to leave and then um I met uh some people just by happenstance that worked in the entertainment department. And um, they encouraged me to audition for the entertainment department, which is what I did and got into the entertainment department and um, was friends with many of the characters in the entertainment department there at the studios. And I think there were maybe 20 performers at the time. It was a very small cast of performers at Disney MGM Studios. And um,
0: wow. And you mean friends. You mean friends with specific characters?
1: Exactly. Which
0: could we ask what friends they are? (laughs)
1: Well, of course um, I was friends with um, big friends with Pluto and big friends with Eeyore. Um, They were my two go-to characters that I just loved hanging out with the most. And, (laughs) you know, I, I, I did that. I, I, uh, transferred into the entertainment department full time come January 1st of 1990. And, uh, And as I said earlier, you know, a a couple months later, all of a sudden, um, there's Jim Henson.
0: So Jim Henson was one of those big notable individuals that you got to meet. I want to come back to that in a second. But one more, two more questions about the Backlot tour. Uh, Number one, did you get to give a tour to any celebrities?
1: I'm trying to remember, you know, I met a lot of celebrities during my time there in the uh, in the late, you know, 89 and early 90s, because there was the um, the Star of the Day program where they would do a cavalcade down the street. The star would sit on the back of a of a convertible and they'd drive to the Hollywood theater, put their hands in cement, and there was the whole thing. And, and so, of course, we got to meet and talk with them backstage. So, but I honestly, I don't remember uh, giving tours to any celebrities when I was doing the backstage studio tour. Now I did the driving portion of that. So I gave the tour and then part of the rotation was after you gave the tour, then you drove the shuttle. And then after you drove the shuttle, then you went out front and and you were greeting. And then from that you went and you helped load guests onto the shuttle. And it just rotated like that throughout the day. Um, I did not do the walking tour. Um, At that point, they had already split it up. So you were either walking tour cast or you were uh, doing the the shuttle part of it. So I was the guy. I was driving through Catastrophe Canyon, God knows how many times a day. <laughs> but uh, that whole time, I swear it was it's it's quite a blur. Honestly, I I don't remember a lot from the from the shuttle tour other than, you know. And this is obviously selective memory, but I remember working. This was the first time I had worked on Christmas morning. First time I had never been with my family on Christmas morning. I was there at like 7 a.m. and we had to wipe down the shuttles because they'd always get wet overnight. And um, I took out the very first tour on Christmas morning. And I, and the guests were running through the park, running to to get on these shuttles, and I and I couldn't believe how many people had showed up on Christmas morning at Walt Disney World. <laughs> I was like, I can't. Why aren't people at home? I don't understand this. I mean, the place was packed, and um, that was that's one of the memories that really sticks out in my head. And then, of course, you know, um, spending lots of time down. Uh, residential street and staring at all the houses. And of course the golden girls house and things like that. I, you know, those are, those are the big memories for me, but you know, I don't remember giving any tours to celebrities per se.
0: What about one of your favorite props or costumes that was originally featured in the attraction because this is just this just fascinates me because I was going back through some videos online of other people's you know tours that they've been on and I found a, a video where they had the outfits of the the Dick Tracy characters Mm -hmm. and D23 just released (laughs) photos of those exact costumes that are in storage. It's just crazy. So what was one of your favorites to see or mention during the tour?
1: I think the one that always fascinated me the most was the Mary Poppins Jolly Holiday dress that was in there. And that was a staple of the tour. They did change out a lot of the costumes. Um, Some of those props, uh, it was mostly in the boneyard there, uh, scenic pieces, you know, there was the, the big trolley, which was a converted bus from Who Framed a Roger Rabbit. And then they had the pod from, uh, Tron back there, which I thought was, was really cool. Um, but I, I think driving past the, the Mary Poppins dress from Jolly Holiday, um, was the thing that. I just couldn't believe it was sitting in there. And I started to question whether or not it was the actual dress. And God knows, who knows if it really was, because I just couldn't believe that it would be sitting in there and and not in the archives out in, in Burbank. But, you know, nevertheless, that was the, my favorite thing. It never got old seeing that. I just couldn't believe it was sitting there. And I, you know, stared at that thing daily for, for six months. It's hard for me, I tell you Tammy, I for years, you know, that the Disney MGM Studios, that's kind of where I grew up. You know, that was those were, you know, from my 20s all the way into my uh, 30s. You know, I spent all my time there and um, it, it was hard for me as it started to evolve and change uh especially once the backstage studio tour was was removed i had a yeah. really tough time and when they when they got rid of when they brought in lights motor action it was it was basically i always i was always saying it was like a a ghost of its former self you could see elements of what used to be there and you know uh, one of the areas that i would always walk through to to get backstage where i would park um, was right through where the offices were um, for the Backstage Studio Tour. Yes.
0: And, yeah. you know, yeah.
1: and to see the old loading dock and all that stuff that used to be there, um, but it wasn't utilized anymore. It just didn't sit well. For, I'm, I'm too nostalgic for my own good, I think. That I definitely know about myself. But walking through the, the sort of the, I don't know, it's like a time capsule, I guess you could say, Um it always just kind of freaked me out and made me feel kind of weird. And so I, I kind of stopped going there even as a guest just because, you know, it wasn't Christ- what it I remember was when the Christmas trees to be in front of the, the Chinese theater and they had this really cool train going around it. And, you know, it was a very sort of retro feel that they, that they continued on, you know, that old 1940s Hollywood thing. And, um, Once they put the the sorcerer's apprentice hat there, that got rid of the tree. And it just things continued to happen year after year that made it less and less what it used to be, which is, you know, fine. And it, and it, I think for the most part, it's all, it all heads in the right direction. And, you know, this is what Disney's all about is evolving and changing. And, but those of us that are super nostalgic and grew up um, with certain things, it's hard to let go.
0: Sing Me a Story with Bell. Was mm-hmm. this filmed on the back lot at MGM or was this yeah. somewhere else?
1: Yeah, we did two seasons of that. The first season we actually shot in the sound stages there at Disney MGM Studios. And, you know, th- they were always looking for production to go into those sound stages or anywhere in the back lot because it just made the back lot Tour the backstage studio tour that much more interesting and it was proof that you know this was a working um, film and television studio so yeah yeah we would um we filmed that first season there and of course the entire time we were filming we had you know if you remember the the walking tour you would walk through those sound stages, kind of on a, almost like a catwalk, looking mm-hmm. down at the, uh, the productions that were happening down in those sound stages. And so we would be shooting and you could look up and see, you know, guests all day long, peering down and watching what we were doing. And what, that was what really cool. did that
0: start? Was it like 96 or 97? Uh, I want to say
1: 95. Um, oh, wow. I okay. think that first season was 1995. And um, I, I would have to go back and check that, but I'm pretty sure. And then we did the second season, I believe, in ninety, like the the next year, like 1996.
0: Yeah, that set was <laughs> amazing.
1: <laughs> oh, I know that was uh, Jimbo Marshall, who's no longer with us. He he was an amazing uh, designer, and that was that was his baby, and. Um, I had never personally, I, I had done commercials and things like that before, and I had done TV shows, but never something at this scale. And, um, you know, the sets were always a little smaller. You could see that they were a little under budget. This was, you know, this was a multi-million-dollar production and this, and it, and it looked like it. I mean, the set Jimbo did an amazing job in that. The entire team, um, you know, Mark Dillon, I believe, was the guy's name that did uh, the, the scenic dressing um, and props. These guys were just really amazing. And they were all Orlando-based, which, you know, made me proud that, you know, we had that level of talent in Orlando. But, yeah, it was a gorgeous set, and it was lit beautifully. They did a nice job.
0: It it surprises me that there really isn't a lot of information about the show online. Like, a lot of people posted the videos that I sent to you of the show, of some episodes. And the reason I found it was not through Disney Channel. They had um, a VHS tape release of the three princesses. Do you remember this? Jasmine, Ariel, and Belle. It confuses me because, you know, apparently from the, the information I found... Um, Lindsay, who played Belle, would actually tour around the United States as her character to um, encourage children to read.
1: There was a lot of support from the channel uh, behind that show at the time. Like you, I remember seeing the the VHS tapes in stores. Believe it or not, it must still be playing somewhere because I still randomly will receive a residual check for that show for like... Five cents or something like that. <laughs> the fact that's that that's hilarious happened, you know, cracks me up. And, you know, Disney Channel itself, you know, it's spawned off. You've got Disney Channel, you know, Disney Junior. And, you know, it's just evolved so many times over the years. It's you know, its just one of those things that's lost with history. It, it'll be interesting to see if if it ever sees the light of day, maybe – uh, on Disney Plus or something. Who knows?
0: That would be wonderful because um, for listeners who have never seen the show, please please type in the title on YouTube. There are a couple of episodes on there, but the structure of the show basically is that Belle has her bookshop now in the village and she has children that stop by and um, there is a problem at the beginning of the episode and to resolve the problem, they read some books which turn out to be some of the um, older cartoons that used to be made, usually around the time that Walt Disney was still alive. So they were kind of um, bringing those back into Mm -hmm. the consciousness of younger children, which was great. But then they would talk about the lessons learned from these cartoons. And at the very end, they would always feature, I think, about like two to three books that, that were real books that children could go to their library and go ahead and read. It was a wonderful show to encourage children to read.
1: Yeah, it was. I, I think, you know, Patrick Davidson, who was the producer on that show, um, and I think he wrote many of the episodes as well, that was his brainchild. And it's very, it was very clever, really, you know, I mean, Disney Channel at the time, really liked not, not only was, you know, the the, the Beauty and the Beast property, uh, very popular at the time. And of course, utilizing bell as, as your storyteller, but the fact that they were able, able to fold in some of this more, um, you know, the, the, the older shorts and cartoons that, you know, from the thirties and forties, uh, to help lend, um, a visual to the storytelling. And there was always an original song as part of that as well, which was really great. Um, It was a great little formula. And Patrick, um, you know, he was really smart when he put that together.
0: I think it would be great for them to bring it back as some type of structure because encouraging children to read is such an important part. It really opens minds and gives them more information. And I, I always love that about the show. And how would you go through a day? Like how was the day scheduled or an episode scheduled? Was it like something that had to, had to be completed within a week per episode or.
1: You know, that part of it is kind of a blur. I remember we would shoot an entire season um, we probably shot a whole season in, in like two or three weeks' time. Um, and so we would typically go through and do a an entire episode, if I remember correctly. We would do an episode per day. And the only thing that was shot out of order and uh, sort of let's do an entire season's worth of shooting – uh at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> was when we did uh, Lewis and Carol the Little Bookworms. Um we would do all of that stuff uh over the course of one or two evenings for the entire run of a of a season. And I'd remember clearly uh right toward the end of the of the shooting season for for season one in particular We were there at – I think we started shooting a season's worth of Lewis and Carol content at like 11 o'clock at night. And the reason I I know it was 11 o'clock at night is I I was telling you earlier that um, I found a lot of my home video from behind the scenes when we were shooting this show. And uh, one of the guys that was shooting was using my video camera. He says, "I'm going to put the time on here, so we have proof we were working here at 11 o'clock. <laughs> but we went from 11 to like two in the morning, shooting all of this Lewis and Carroll content, and then uh, come in the next morning and and uh, continue shooting the whole day. You're working with people who are just really great at what they do, at their jobs, you know, at their disciplines, and you know, you you start to." I mean you go you respect them immediately as like well, you know like with Jimbo all you got to do is walk into that stage and go oh my god look at this set and you know I remember telling him I'm like Jimbo you're a genius this is amazing you know and he was the sweetest guy and super humble and one of the funniest guys I've ever met and you know and it just went down the line everyone was like that it was just so much fun
0: One of the things I do want to mention is, um, so with the puppeteering, there are a couple characters in the show that are just mainly puppets. So we got Lewis and Carol, the bookworms. Um, We have Big Book, who Mm -hmm. kind of helps um, uh, Belle tell the story usually. And then Harmony, the cat, who usually is sitting um, by the window seat. And I believe... You got to work with Harmony. Were you also the voice, or were you just working on her movements?
1: Yeah, I did, um, and it's kind of embarrassing because you know when we started this. Yeah, I did. I did harmonies. I did the puppetry for Harmony, and I did the voice. And it Mm -hmm. sort of evolved over time. But you know, the voice I was doing for Harmony was not supposed to be her voice. They were going to dub it later. (laughs) Um, and so I just, you know, made up some random voice that was like a female, uh, you know, Carl from, from Caddyshack. (laughs) And I think what, honestly, what ended up happening is, you know, a lot of the fun you end up having and a lot of the development of a character over time happens, not while you're shooting, but in between takes. And I think a lot of the the fun we were having with Harmony and Harmony's personality, you know, she was um, I, I kind of made her uh, quite edgy and sassy in between takes um, within, you know, good taste, of <laughs> course, because we had kids everywhere. But, you know, I think what ended up happening and why they kept the voice is people just got used to it and they they liked her off camera personality so much that they just decided to keep it. it because it's not a great voice at all. If you listen to the, the audio quality of it as well, um, the audio of it wasn't great because it was essentially a scratch track for for at least that entire first season. It was just a scratch track as far as they were concerned. So there was a lot of weird, um, echoing, you know, I was either in a big cavernous area underneath that little, uh, window seat at that bay window up at the top there of the set, or I was inside of a foot locker next to one of the couches. And these were just big cavernous areas. And we did, uh, muffle those areas. We put lots of, um, you know, uh, material and egg, egg crate, uh, Foam in there just to keep the sound from bleeding onto the set, but you know the quality of it isn't good at all. And um I have to admit, as I say, I, I'm embarrassed by <laughs> by that voice, but it no. is what it is. It's you, so know? Cute. And, um, <laughs> you know, so cute. You know, her character did evolve, and I did. Once we got into the second season, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to have to really. Create something a little bit better here, and they then the audio quality was a little bit better, but it certainly probably wasn't you know the voice I would have chosen because it is a female character I'm not good at falsetto voices, and um you know it was it was a rough go quite honestly because you know we have a saying in uh, puppetry if you're comfortable uh performing then you're doing it wrong, and that was definitely that was The case, every position I was in performing harmony was just awful. I mean, your hand went into that puppet kind of in her stomach area, so which immediately puts your entire forearm into her body before your hand even gets up into her head. So your forearm is horizontal, if you can picture this. So you're coming up into the puppet, you immediately bend your your elbow ninety degrees, so your forearm is horizontal, and then your hand at, at the wrist does another ninety degree turn to get it up in position in the into the head. Now, normally, when you're doing a puppet, you know the head and body it's all vertical, right? It's straight up and down, and it's in line with your your wrist is in line with your forearm, and all of that stuff, and it's uh, a lot easier to do. But you know the position I was in, regardless of where I was hidden, was just an awful position and um that puppet was very heavy we had uh, a servo motor in there and um you know it was just being in that position and then holding the weight of the puppet you had very limited mobility uh, of the head so when you're trying to focus on other actors uh on the set that you're that you're interacting with and acting with um you couldn't many times you just couldn't get the eye focus to whoever it was you're looking at and talking to. And, uh, you know, you're fighting the puppet and, um, the position you're in and then the limited mobility of the thing and the weight of it, it was, it was, it was a tough go. And then you're trying to do the voice (laughs) at the same time and you're sweating and, uh, you know, but it was, I wouldn't have traded it. It was a blast. We had so many laughs. Again, as soon as the camera stopped, even though I was in pain, you couldn't stop. You know, you couldn't stop performing because you know you were. I was kind of in charge of of keeping the kids laughing, keeping the crew laughing, and um, as I said earlier, that's kind of how her character was developed. Really, was was uh, between takes. <laughs>
0: She she reminds me of a kid's version of Miss Piggy cuz she's so yeah. sassy and I love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Should've I love it. It's so
1: cute. Takes I loved it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you do a little line
1: for us? Oh my god. I I tried <laughs> to do something last night uh because my daughter who is 7 has never seen the show. She's she saw it Last night, I, I I pulled some up on YouTube and I said, "Charlotte, come here, take a look at this." And uh, she was laughing, and of course, she said, "Daddy, do the voice." I'm like, "I don't know if I can do that voice because, you know, I'm not a good falsetto person to begin with. But I've I've aged, you know, 25 years probably since then, so I don't have the the vocal chops to to pull it off anymore. But I'll try it. Hello, Tammy. This is. Harmony the cat. It's nice to see you and be on your show. (laughs) I can't really do it. I love it. Oh my gosh. It's
0: like, it's wonderful flashbacks for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm part of your childhood. Forever, Harmony, forever. That's right. right.
1: (laughs) I'm glad I was there.
0: <laughs> Me too. Oh my god, that's so cool. <laughs> oh gosh, had, I, I really. Every
1: time you know, um, <laughs> the company that built those puppets, Animax, and here's something I ha- that was always uh, wrong in the titles. You know, Animax. I don't remember them getting a shout out on that, but my friend Chuck Fawcett who uh, owns Animax Designs, he built all those puppets, and he and I did the first, I think, three episodes together. And he did, uh, he was doing the eyes on harmony. Now, eventually I ended up taking over the eye movement on harmony just cause it's easier as a performer if you're in charge of your eye blinks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it, that was, those eyes were operated off a radio control unit, off an RC unit. And, um, so for the first, probably half of that first season, a lot of those shows, the second puppeteer was doing Harmony's eye blinks, and there was there's a definite disconnect between my movements and then the eye blinks. And so once I got comfortable in there, and I was starting to see that there was a bit of a disconnect going on, I took over the uh, the eye blinks myself. But you know, Chuck and I were the two puppeteers on that show for the first like I say, maybe three episodes. And so Chuck would do, um, uh, the, the eyes for harmony. When I was doing, uh, harmony, he would then do a uh, big book. He would do big books, eyes, and sometimes he would do big books, eyes and mouth movement. And then of course, when we did all of the Lewis and Carol bookworm stuff, he was doing Carol and I was doing Lewis. Um, And then Chuck, of course, has a company to run, so he couldn't stay and do an entire two or three weeks of shooting, so he left. And my friend who I mentioned earlier uh, that we used to do uh, puppet shows as little kids, um, he came in and uh, he performed Big Book and did Carol in a lot of the episodes. But Chuck still gets credit for all of those um, episodes as a puppeteer. Uh, but he only did maybe half of them of that first season. And then Jeff Donkey came in. His name's Jeff Donkey. And he actually works at the Center for Puppetry Arts. He's still very into puppetry. He does all of their outreach and education programming for them.
0: What do you think has happened to the puppets today? Do you think they still are around?
1: I, I, if I remember correctly, I think Harmony went to Patrick Davidson. Um I know that she lived at at the animax offices for a while but i think she ended up going over to patrick i think um and i could be wrong about that i know animax was storing um a lot of that stuff for patrick for a while but you know harmony was was old school puppet you know she was uh she was so pretty yeah she was foam and fur so uh, at this point, if she is still around somewhere, I think the foam is is by now definitely turned to toast. What we call toast, it just disintegrates. I mean, yeah. it turns into dust. So as, if no one's touching it, she might still be there as a three-dimensional form. Uh, but there's also a really good chance that she may have completely collapsed under the weight of her fur and is, you know, nothing but a a former, a, a, a three dimensional form of her former self.
0: Well, what have you been up to recently? Working for Disney and puppeteering, especially during all of this prior <laughs> to yeah. all the craziness. What have you been up to?
1: Well, you know, when I was working in in the at Walt Disney World Resort, um, I was responsible for uh, auditioning. I created sort of what an audition looked like for puppeteers. Um, I created a training program and and essentially just created a role for myself uh, over the years on how we train puppetry, how we train puppeteers, how we look for puppeteers. Um, because, you know, there aren't a lot of puppeteers out there you know, waiting and looking for a, a job. You know, the the number of performers we need at, at, at our parks and resorts, if we've got puppetry, is immense. And you're not going to find people who are trained puppeteers just to come in off the street and start working at the show. So you know, we have to find people who just have the aptitude and, and want to learn puppetry and have an interest in it. And then we can train them the skills that it takes to, to become a, a puppeteer. So I created that program and did that probably from about 1991, 90, 91, all the way through 2003. And then I moved over into another area of our company, I left the sort of the Walt Disney World Resort per se, and moved over to uh, into an area called Character Programs and Development. And Character Programs and Development is responsible for all character design and costume design. They do all of that, and it is what it, it what it sounds like. You know, they do all of the training materials for for the characters. They do all of the costume designs, um, and uh, I moved over there in 2003 and became a designer over there and uh was responsible for the design and development and sort of the the creative uh direction of what the next generation of of our talking characters would be so i I created all of the articulated characters and have done that with character programs and development since 2003 and we we got absorbed into uh walt disney imagineering Back in 2009, so uh, we're now part of uh, since '09, uh, part of Imagineering. So, you know, my my scope is is uh, a, a global scope. So I'm responsible for any live, uh, interactive, uh, articulated character or puppet that ends up uh, in our parks around the world. So if it's a puppet, if it has a, any type of animated features to it, I'm responsible for really the, the creative direction and how that is designed and, and developed. And, and the cruise ships, too. And cruise ships, yeah. And, and I'd say cruise ships are probably, you know, between all of our ships, and we've got three more on the way. You know, our, our parks are three parks in Asia, and of course the one in in France, and then our two domestic. There there's puppetry all over the world. So, um, I to say that I travel a lot is a massive under, understatement. So I'm constantly on the road, uh, installing uh, shows and puppetry content all over all over the world and on the ships, and you know it, it's. I'm the only guy that does what I do, which I, uh, love because I am a bit of a control freak. So I'm able to, uh, you know, have the control that I like to have over what these things look like and how they, they operate, how they're manipulated, how they're performed. And, um, you know, we get to do some really, really great stuff with, um, you know, fairly decent budgets most of the time. So whatever you can dream up, you're able, you're pretty much able to, to deliver on. You know, you can come up with the weirdest, craziest idea. And we've got so many talented people that work in our area and at Disney, you know, other designers, engineers, um, that, you know, you ask a question, what if or can we... And they say, yeah, I think we can do that. And, you know, you're constantly sort of pushing the envelope. And I think what we do in terms of of puppetry and performance, uh, I don't know that anyone is is doing as much as we're doing. And I'd like to think that we do it better than anybody else. I'm very proud of our work. And uh, our performers are you know, amazing. They love what they do. And, uh, I'm, I'm a lucky guy to be able to do what I do. And I'll be glad when all of this, uh, pandemic stuff is over so we can get back to it because we've got some really great stuff in the, uh, in the pipeline that, uh, that we've had to put a hold on sadly because of the, the pandemic, you know,
0: you're, you're continuing that ball and keeping it rolling. And I love it. So
1: yeah, thank you. that's great.
0: Well, I have three <laughs> I have 3 Disney-themed questions I ask each of my guests before we end our show. So oh let's start with the Donald one, which is, as a child, what Disney film was one of your favorites to see in the movie theater?
1: Oh, in the movie theater. I don't know if I could call it my favorite, but the one I was most affected by was Bambi. I think a lot of people share that. Um, I think my favorite as a kid it's 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 got to be the original Herbie movie.
0: And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person?
1: I can't I don't know. I love Coco. I think that is one of our our finest films. I just love that movie. It's so emotional and uh, any of the, any any character from that film um from miguel's family i could definitely see being besties with
0: and then finally our mickey question if i asked you to name any disney song at this very moment what immediately comes to mind
1: probably remember me from coco (laughs) i just uh i i i will start tearing up i'm actually tearing up thinking about that song
0: well, I can't thank you enough. This has been an interview in the making for a couple of years now, and I really appreciate you being so sweet. I know. We, so sweet. <laughs> I know. I've been, we were trying to find see if we could do a reunion with the rest of the cast, so maybe something might come together, and you'll be able to show some of those really cool behind-the-scenes clips. You know, you never know.
1: <laughs> you never know. I've got them. So uh, it would be nice to find some of the, some of the uh, gang from, from the show and see what they're up to. We'll, we'll keep our feelers out and right, hopefully
0: something special. But um, we're going to go back to Bell's bookshop and uh, find a book <laughs> to read for the rest of, <laughs> of lockdown.
1: <laughs> I said see you later. For the very first
0: time. Happy reading, everyone. Bye-bye.